We're conditioned to think that magic isn't real. It is just something made up for stories. Or it's something used in the ancient times to explain things which lacked reasonable explanation. But what if this wasn't the case? What if we took it as fact that it did indeed exist? That it did play a role in our lives, whether we could see it or not? What would this mean for the unexplained, for the blind spots of science? It's the life of a Kilkenny woman which answered these questions for us. This is her story. In Kilkenny, in the year 1262, a child was born. Her name was Alice Kittler. Alice was the only child born to her parents. Her family were merchants who had settled in the city of the Vikings and in the former capital of Ireland. They were of Flemish origin. Little is known about her youth. It is assumed she lived quite a high life. Being a merchant in the city at the time would have been more than profitable given the scarcity of goods available outside of the cities. When she turned 18, however, her life began to become more notable. It was at the age of 18 when Alice met a man and married him called William Outlaw. William was a man of power and prominence. He was a wealthy Kilkenny merchant and an experienced moneylender. William, being a well-known man of power, gave Alice a new status. She was no longer just a good merchant's daughter. She now also had the ear of one of the most powerful men in the city. William's power knew no limits. His ability to turn twine into wine was noted throughout Kilkenny and he was said to have pockets deeper than the wealthiest kings. They had a son, also named William, after his father. Young William grew up learning the family business in the trade and money lending. Given his access to information and experience, young William too made quite a name for himself as a result of the power he gained throughout the city, and in 1305, the people of Kilkenny elected young William as their mayor. Normally, your parents might consider this a great achievement and a great success for the family. The problem, however, is the man who was expected to have been put forward for this role originally was no longer breathing amongst the living. The intended man, who was to be the mayor of Kilkenny, had died three years earlier. He was young William's father, Alice's husband, William Senior. William had died in mysterious circumstances. On the Monday morning of his final days on earth, he showed no symptoms of illness. By the time the sun set on the Tuesday evening, he was no longer able to see. He was too weak to speak. His hair and face had turned grey, and his fingernails began to loosen and fall from their beds in his fingertips. By the time the sun rose again on the Wednesday, he was gone. Almost immediately after his death, Alice was seen with a new man. Another wealthy moneylender, a man called Adam Leblund. 
Adam was too a powerful and wealthy man in the town, and combined with the proceeds from her late husband's will, Alice and Adam sat on top of a large fortune of wealth. Young William too profited from his father's death, but after taking up the role of mayor, he began to change. Not in the physical sense, but in terms of his mental state. The ideals which he once held began to change, and his politics became very focused on the profitability of a small collection of merchants in the city. His mother Alice amongst them. The public opinion towards him drastically swayed, and he became a hated figure when in 1307, two years after gaining the mayor's position, he signed over all his inheritance and wealth to his mother's new husband. He himself was left with nothing, only the title of the hated mayor. William also cancelled all the debts of Adam. It was at this point the law began looking into the dealings of Alice and Adam. They had long suspected foul play in the death of William Senior. They simply could not understand how a man could age so horribly so quickly in such a short space of time. The couple lobbied their wealthy friends to put pressure on those investigating them and soon the inquiries disappeared. Adam and Alice lived a life of wealth. That was until 1309, when Adam fell gravely ill and joined William Senior in the afterworlds. Alice this time appeared to be devastated by his death. She appeared to be. A few months later, young William once again walked her up the aisle to marry a man called Richard de Vale. Richard was a wealthy landowner from Tipperary. He owned much of the lands of the county the lands captured through more than pleasant means for those in the previous ownership. Richard was a ruthless man who always got what he wanted. In this case, his eyes were firmly fixed on Alice when she became a widow for the second time. Richard too had a previous marriage, which ended in death. His wife had passed away, but together they had had a family. He had a son, also called Richard, who Richard Sr. saw as the embodiment of all his best elements. He was a strong man, mentally and physically, and great at striking business deals with ruthless precision. Young William made a fortune again at this point, re-inheriting the wealth which the now late Adam had willed him. The marriage trundled on without any great incident. The power and wealth of the couple grew with their pre-gained wealth and their son's business skills. A few years into their marriage, and the luck of Alison's husband struck again. In 1316, Richard Sr. became terribly ill. In just a few short hours, Richard began to go from a very strong, healthy man in good spirits to a grey old shadow of himself. As Alice's previous husbands had done, his fingernails too came loose and separated from his fingers just before his final breaths. Young Richard, familiar with the patterns of death with Alice's history, became terribly suspicious of her role in Richard's life and death. He withheld her widow's payments. 
Alice, infuriated by this, threatened legal proceedings against young Richard. He didn't back down. When the issue went to court, remarkably, Richard lost everything to both Alice and William Jr. The judge decided it would be best for both of them to have all of Richard's belongings as they were bought through the earnings of his father, Alice's husband, and so by right they should now be Alice's. Alice and young William continued life as the most powerful pair in the city. William worked the businesses and Alice sat on the throne of wealth which she had built upon the deaths of her three late husbands. Again, a few months later, Alice was once again besotted by a wealthy man who came to the city. A knight called Sir John Lepore. John and William did not see eye to eye with one another throughout the relationship. John feuded William as a leech, and William saw John as a threat to his money. The two would argue regularly in public over finances and business decisions. In 1324, their arguments ended after John joined the others and passed away. He died in a similar fashion to the others, first turning a deathly grey, then losing his fingernails and passing away in a remarkable short period of time. Before he died, he wrote a note to one of his own children. In the note he stated, it was her, she poisoned me, she's not of this world. The note was taken to the local authorities and investigations began. The stepchildren believed Alice to be a witch and they were persistent in proving this. The authorities sought witnesses to either argument. That is when Alice's secrets came out. I say secrets because of her wealth and the manner in which she acquired it. Some people wish the worst on Alice. Alas, I share with you the accusations poisoning her four husbands, denying the faith of Christ and the church, cutting up animals to sacrifice demons across roads, holding secret nocturnal meetings in churches to perform black magic and undermine or overpower the church, using sorcery and potions to control Christians, possession of a familiar, Robin Artson, a lesser demon of Satan, She was arrested and brought to trial for witchcraft. Five knights and several noblemen, which heard evidence that Alice had headed a convent of witches and had sex with a demon called Artisan, who is sometimes depicted as Aethotops, a mythical founder of Ethiopia. She was accused of being so powerful that she could convince the judge to let her go, as she had done with the judge who gave her late husband's possessions to her, and as she had done to the people of Kilkenny having them elect her son as the mayor. The English-born Franciscan Bishop of Ossory, Richard de la Dread, oversaw the proceedings as a bishop could not be convinced to do the devil's biddings on earth. Le Dread had direct access to the ear of the Pope as they had been friends. Both bitterly believed in witchcraft and saw it as the church's role to stamp it out whenever possible to remove the devil from earth. In order to ensure they had all the devil's people in Kilkenny punished for their treason to God, they rounded up anyone associated with Alice. Relatives, friends, staff and neighbours. Before the trial came to an end, the bishop decided to excommunicate Alice from the church, a sentence near worse than death at the time.
following evening, he was arrested for his handling of the trial. This shocked everyone who was there. They could not see any reason why this might happen. The authorities who arrested him failed to provide adequate reasons when questioned. As a result of him not being able to trial her, Alice was temporarily released. Without stopping for a moment's breath, Alice packed what she could and fled Ireland to England for sanctuary. There she vanished. Nobody knew where she had gone. She was just another shadow on the street. Then, around 12 months later, however, she reappeared in Dublin. In Dublin, she visited the Archbishop in order to have him addressed in trial of dread for excommunicating her. He refused, and Alice was immediately captured and placed in the cells of Kilkenny Castle. She was trialled without representation. It was decided she would be sentenced to death. All her friends and relatives, who were arrested at the time of her original trial, were too tried and condemned. They were all first to be whipped through the city streets and then dragged by horse back to the courts. After which, Alice was then to be burned at the stake. The night before this was to all happen, a group of men scaled Kilkenny Castle, broke into the dungeons, killed all the guards, unlocked the door to Alice's cage and let her go free. Alice was never seen again. Of the friends of Alice, her son William received the punishment of having to go to three masses every day and purchase food for the poor. The other person to be punished was Alice's less than wealthy friend, her maid, Petronella. She was tortured, whipped and finally burned at the stake. It was as a result of the actions of Alice that her friend became one of the first people in the world to be executed for their roles in witchcraft. This fact, combined with the execution of Anne Glover many years later, meant that the executions of those deemed to be witches started and ended with the deaths of Irish women. Today's music was written, performed and produced by Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by myself, Warren. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash Irish or leave us a review on your podcast app. We the Irish is an Ireland production. Ornus Anam Dunn, Gurv Margot, Slonanish.